2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. It's a beautiful passage of Scripture. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal, the Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, Love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. We can pray together for this morning. Father, we ask that this morning would be all about you, less about us. Father, we pray that you would speak through your truth, the word of God, as you have given it to us. Father, may we be vessels that are used by you. May we be challenged, Father, to be not a wasted life in this earth. That we may live for your glory. Father, speak to us clearly through your word. May you convict our hearts. May you encourage us by your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we get going here, I'm, I'm learning about all of you guys, and you're learning about me, and I get to talk to all of you at once, right? And so you get to learn a lot about me, maybe even before I learn all about you. But one of the things that you'll learn about me is that I am not that handy, When it comes to fixing things, I don't have the Mr. Fix-It gene. When it comes to doing things like cars or plumbing or roofing, I'm out, okay? If you need someone to cheer you on or hand you a cup of water or maybe go get you a donut, then that's me. I'm there. But otherwise, I'm uh, pretty much useless. I was uh, helping a, a... project that um, we were putting on a while back, and the church was, was doing a local mission effort, and we were putting on a roof on someone's house. You can go ahead and put that on the screen. And this was a big project. You can see the picture on the screen here. It's a pretty big deal, and we're, we're doing this from the church. Guys are volunteering to do this. No professional roofers involved. And I'm thinking to myself, I need to get on that roof, but I'm afraid of heights. That's a problem. 
So I get on the roof and I'm just kind of watching these guys work and I'm thinking to myself, I'm not really doing much here. And a guy hands me a hammer and a nail and he says, now where the X is right here, put the nail in. So I think to myself, okay, well, I can do that pretty easy. So I'm hammering away on my little portion of the work, and I get to a point where I hammer my glove into the roof. And I'm looking around, and I'm thinking to myself, I hope no one sees this. And I look around and I don't see anyone and I slip my hand out of the glove and I'm trying to pry up the nail very quickly so no one will see me. Well, I thought that no one saw me. And after the project was over, uh, the men that worked on this project had a, had a little trophy for me. And you can see that on this next slide. That was their trophy they handed me. I realized that maybe I was not as useful as I thought. The question that arises from this passage is, are you useful for God's purposes? The requirement for usefulness in the kingdom of God is not whether you have all the knowledge in the world or whether you have the talent to do great things, or whether you come from a good family, or, or whether you have any money, the condition for youthfulness is holiness. God desires for His people to reflect the glory of God. Don't be like Rob on a roof. Not useful. My encouragement to you this morning as the church, the people of God, is to be useful for the Lord because he has great work for his people. Be a vessel, an instrument that God can use and be ready to be used by God by living out the gospel in your own life. Remember, last week, we had some false teachers who had swerved from the truth. Paul is even naming these guys by name. If you, if you look at verse, um, verse 17, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, right? These two guys are probably not in the top 10 baby names for 2018, right? Hymenaeus and Philetus. I don't think anyone's naming them. But guess what they're doing? They're swerving from the truth. They're upsetting some of the, the church. But then Paul says in verse 19, but God's firm foundation stands in the midst of the fiery arrows of the enemy that the enemy throws at God's people, the foundation that is built upon Christ stands. As Christ says in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We didn't really get into much more than that last week, and so I want to move to the second half of verse 19, and we'll begin there this morning 
But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. This is our first point this morning. The gospel changes the way the church lives. The gospel changes the way in which the church lives. We know that God's firm foundation, which is in reference to the church, the upholder of truth, which is built upon Christ, still stands. And he gives two reasons why that it stands here. The first one, because God knows who are his. God's divine perspective, he looks and he knows who are his sheep, who are the goats. He knows who are his children and who are not. Even amidst the false teaching that's going on in the church. He knows who are his. And number two, those who name the name of the Lord, let them depart from iniquity. The thought process here is that God saves us, then transforms us away from sin and becoming more like Christ. God's children, those who are his, are transforming away from iniquity and towards the Lord. Remember, if, we, if you read throughout the scriptures, if you read throughout Paul's letters, oftentimes false teaching will be accompanied with ungodly living or unrighteousness. And, and Paul is saying, gospel-centered people, people that are actually children of God, what will accompany them is gospel living. Romans 6, 6 says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now this doesn't mean that we will be perfect as God is transforming us. One day we will be perfect in glory. But it does mean that God is moving in our hearts and our minds and leading us to a place to be like Christ. I'm sure that some of you have gone on some of those uh, spinning roller coasters like teacups or tilt-a-whirl or something like that. I'm sure maybe back in the day or even now. I can remember some, some time long ago in high school, I can say that now, I'm, I'm pretty long after high school, but long ago during high school, I was going on one of those uh, rides at Frontier City called the Tornado. You may be familiar with it. You may not. Probably trying to impress the girls or something like that. I don't know why I was going on this ride. I got so sick on this ride that I did not even want to ride any of the other rides. Well, fast forward 20 years later, and now, guess what? Little Robert, or my son Trip is what we call him, wants to go on this ride called the Tornado. He's four years old. And my daughter wants to go on the ride. 
And guess who did not ride the ride? Me. But guess what? After my family rejected the godly counsel and wisdom I was offering, they went on the ride. So my wife braved the ride just to say that it didn't go that great for her. I won't see her on the tornado anytime soon. The point is that God saved us from the filth and the destruction of our own sin. He has brought us life. Why would we return to that life? He has given us a spirit of power and love and a sound mind to overcome the world and the things in the world. He has given us understanding of why we would not want to continue to live in the spiral of death or the spiral of sin that leads to death. You see, it is God who saves us. It is God who holds our salvation together. And then it is God who transforms our life. But our response to this great God, to what He has done, is worship. A lifestyle of worship. You see, when you realize that Jesus died in my place, the Son of God died for me, this brings about a love that I have never known before, a joy that is unmatched, a peace that passes all understanding, a patience that opens my eyes, a kindness that reverberates from His grace, a goodness that stems from the goodness of God, a faithfulness that is guarded by God, a gentleness that comes from a compassion of God and a self-control that is Spirit-led. That is the fruit of the Spirit of God. It's not because I'm good or because I am worthy. It is not because we are good or worthy that we experience the fruit of the Spirit. It is because of God's grace and our surrender to Him. May the gospel transform God's church through the power of the Holy Spirit to live out the gospel in their daily lives. Now, let me, let me, let me just make, make it clear here. My life is not all peachy king just because I accepted Jesus or believe in Jesus. But I tell you what, when the gospel is on the forefront of my mind and my heart and I'm resting in the grace of God, I can see God working in every area of my life. Verse 20. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. This is the second point this morning. It's on your screen. Gospel living readies the church to be used by God. 
Gospel living readies the church to be used by God. When I use that word church, I don't mean a building. I mean the people of God, the household of believers, the family of God. Paul uses an illustration here to show us two different types of vessels. One for honorable of gold and silver and one of dishonorable of wood and clay. The word for vessel here, it was used for a variety of things, used in the home, utensils, furnishings, including furniture or even tools. Think of someone coming over to your house, you're getting a vessel or a tool to use for them. You either have the fine china to use or you have the paper plates. Much different some would say, I'd rather just, just take the paper plates, right? Maybe, maybe this will ring a little bit um, more true. Or you could think of it like this. Do you want to have a Yeti cooler on this Labor Day weekend? Gleaming in the light, all nice and fancy and way more expensive than I can afford? Or do you want to be a toilet seat? Right? I think we get that analogy. One for honorable use, one for dishonorable. Do you want to be the Yeti cooler or the toilet seat in the household of God? Right? One for honorable, one for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. There's a cleansing here that is happening in the scripture. Not only a cleansing from sin, but also a cleansing from false teaching that Paul has been talking about and referring to in this section. God's design to counter sin and to counter false teaching in the lives of his people is gospel living. Not only understanding the gospel correctly, but also applying it correctly to bring about life change in his people. How does this happen? I'm just going to give you a short synopsis of how this happens. Number one. God. You understand who God is. His infinite holiness, his righteousness, his goodness, his love, his... And you see it and apply it. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. That means... That when you see, you see the glory of God in each circumstance, in each thing that's happening in nature. When you see your child for the very first time, the look the groom has on his wedding day as the bride walks down the aisle. When you overlook the Grand Canyon, when you see the intricate detail of the animals of God's creation, these things you see the glory of God all around us. And when we open up the Word of God, you see the glory of God in your daily life, in the Word of God. Number two, so God. Number two, man. 
You see man for who he truly is. You see his wickedness, his shame, his sin. That's us, by the way. We see our own betrayal and rejection of this holy God. As Titus 3.3 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hating, hated by others and hating one another. You may say, oh, that's, that's not me. I'm, I'm not that. I'm actually a good person. You see, when we see ourselves in the light of a holy and righteous God, then we find our humility and our need for Christ. We see that we are unworthy. It's like me saying, I'm a pretty tall guy, I'm 6'4", and then having Stephen Adams come up on the stage, seven foot tall, and going, I'm, I'm a tall guy, I'm a tall guy, right? I mean, he's seven foot, I'm 6'4". When we see ourselves in light of God's holiness, we see our sin for what it truly is. Number three, we see not only God, we see man, but we see Christ for who he is, our Savior. The realization of our sin in light of a holy God shows us our need for Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the one who saves. It helps us to realize that God's grace is sufficient. Grace is meaning God's riches at Christ's expense, that we are unworthy to be called children of God, and yet God calls us that. Why? Because of His grace. That Christ saved me, not because I deserve that, but because of His love, His gift of grace. The righteous for the unrighteous. The, the gospel then begins to come to life in our hearts and our minds. And all we can do is respond. So you see God for who he is. You see yourself or man for who he is. You see Christ as the Savior. And then all of a sudden, all of those things take a hold of you. And all you can do is respond to this great God and what he has done for you through the gospel. And that is gospel living. That is a response to God's grace. It's a response to his good news. It changes you. You know, this is, this is completely different than religion, right? Religion says that if you clean yourself up enough that God will accept you. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, is that God cleans you up. You surrender your heart and God cleans you up and transforms your life. But it's God's work because of his grace. This is the cleansing in which God's people go through to become a vessel set apart as holy, useful to the master, ready for every good work. Please hear me. The gospel doesn't teach us to add something to our list of activities. It doesn't teach us 
to just try to do better. It's surrendering to this great God and allowing him to work in our lives. Allowing him to reveal himself to us in a way that changes our life. Once we surrender to God, once we understand his grace for our life, then he forms us, he shapes us like a potter shaping his vessel that is useful to the master. I saw the other day on SportsCenter the number one seed in the U.S. Open, um, Simona Halep, was getting beat. She was getting beat first round. And uh, this is tennis, by the way, if you're, if you're not there with me. The U.S. Open is a tennis match in New York, and the number one seed was getting beat. And she started blaming her racket, right? Because she started crushing her instrument or her vessel to the ground, and she broke it. She smashed it into pieces. Guess what? That, that vessel wasn't very useful after that. Don't be a vessel that is not useful to the master. Allow God's truth to saturate your life. Don't smash what God wants to create as beautiful. Be who God has created you to be in Christ. Reflect the glory of God. Church, be the church, not a cheap imitation. Verse 22, and when we're almost done, so flee youthful passions. This is the application part. Paul writes, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. There's a lot in here. We kind of just summarized it in one piece here. The church pursues godly living together. The church pursues godly living together. Guess what? The, the Christian life is not meant to be a solo act. We need to encourage one another to live out the gospel in our life. I need encouragement, church. You need encouragement. A gospel-centered community empowers God's church to live out their faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, in verse 22, he begins this application, and he says, flee, run from youthful passions, and pursue or run to righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with or alongside those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You need to know what you're running from. You need to know what you're running to, and you need to know who you're running with. Clear direction is always best. Flee youthful passions, youthful lust. Yes, it does 
you do, do think about when the first thing off your mind is sexual immorality. But this is, this is more than that. Young leaders, I'm including myself in that category. Young leaders have the temptation to indulge the flesh in a variety of ways, including impatience, arrogance, stubbornness, recklessness, harshness, and unkindness. Flee youthful lust that it's all about you and you have to have it your way. It's together we do God's righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Parents, this is important for us to remember when we're teaching our children. It's not just telling them what to run away from, but also what to run toward. And why that is important. Why that is good for you and your life. Righteousness and faith and love and peace. Teaching your children these truths of why these things are the way that God has intended for His church. And then the last part here in this section. Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Run with like-minded people running the race together, encouraging one another. This is the church. The body of believers that come together, that gather together. If you're a guest this morning, we are certainly glad you're here. We have this thing called membership class, which allows you to understand where we are as a church and where we're going and what the truths of the gospel are. We would love to, for you to be a part of this gathering of believers, but it is the gathering of believers that makes the church the church. And guess what? When the church, the people of God, are functioning in a gospel-centered mindset and a gospel-centered heart, they encourage one another. They uplift one another. I don't want anyone to come ever to our church and not be encouraged not be uplifted. We should be praising God for who He is. And it should uplift our spirits and our life. In the last section, there's a laser-like focus for the Lord's servant, possibly referring to elders or overseers here as the Lord's servant. But verse 23 says this, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, talking about those that are against the enemies, grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of truth, and they may come to their senses, escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. There's a sense here that there is nothing to gain by quarreling over non-essential issues. But God's leaders must show humility, patience, and kindness so that God may even grant some of their enemies repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. It's a powerful statement. It's a powerful statement by Paul to say, look, I don't even care what they do against you. You are to live out the gospel so that they may come to Christ. 
your enemy, those that are against you, those that are teaching falsely in your church. Live it out and let them see it so that they will be brought to repentance and faith in Christ Jesus. That's a challenge for us because we know people at work. We have people in our families. We have people that are neighbors. We know people that are enemies to us. And my challenge is for you, church, to be the church in those places and to live out the gospel where people are against you.